Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Drance. Also covering the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Blake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Canucks beat the Predators 5-2, despite, in the words of Rick Tockett, not playing their brand of hockey. Their sloppiest performance in a while uh, so far early in this season, Drancer. But uh, the good start continues. 6-2-1. and one. For the Canucks, despite a lot of that sloppiness last night against the Predators. Yeah, like that. So this is where this is where my thirst for more data on this team mm. like really comes into conflict with the energy and the vibe around a team that's, you know, hasn't lost in regulation in five consecutive games. Mm-hmm. Six, two and one uh, rolling along with this elite goal differential. Uh, Elias Pettersson. Second career hat trick. How is that possible? Yeah, it's wild. Actually. I was stunned by that. And the first time he's ever done it at home? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? This guy's had like 40 goal seasons. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. He has like multiple five point nights in there as well, and you not but not yeah. hat tricks. Yeah, it's wild. Well, well, and also the way that this team's like first since his rookie year, right? 2018, yeah. 19 was his rookie year, yeah. For sure it was. I I mean, no, it's it's honestly, I find it hard to fathom. I find it hard to fathom. Especially, you know what? It's in some ways, though. It's actually um, there's two things that it reveals. One hasn't been out on the ice frequently enough in his career at the death, like oh, like in the, the five on yeah. six situation with Those, the chance to that get used that. Used to be uh, Tanner Pearson and Louis Erickson's time. Yeah, and they did a great job. Well, they did, but also like, you know, I, I wonder if Travis Green could have that one back <laughs> if he might. Um, and then, and then also, I I think. It's kind of a testament to his consistency mm. that he like hasn't needed the spike game mm-hmm. to to score at the rate that he's scored over his NHL career. I want to I want to talk really quickly about those three goals though, or at least two of them, the ones that yeah. he beat Kevin Lankinen on. Um, I love that Kevin Lankinen has the world's most Finnish last name, but is named Kevin. By the way, it's very like Kevin Lannister vibes. Do you remember? Uh, it's like Tywin Tyrion Kevin. There used to be, maybe there still is, an Italian soccer player named Kevin Lasagna. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm dead serious. That is that. incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, I I forgot to ask him in the scrum, and I was kicking myself after not not because it like really mattered, but just because it was a nerdy thing I wanted to know. But if you go watch that first goal that he sort of handcuffs Lankinen on, right? It's not like a clean beat. Mm-hmm. Lankinen gets a piece. There's a flash screen from Ilya Mikheyev. Almost right at the point of release, Mikheyev skates quickly through the crease and takes Lankinen's eyes at this like absolutely crucial moment where he's just just for a split second can't quite pick up Patterson's shot and it's partly why he bobbles it and and it and it beats him. And you know, watching the highlight, like I'm almost certain, and I wish I'd confirmed it, but I'm almost certain that Pedersen shot to the flash screen, mm, like timed it for McKay of flashing in front of Kevin. Like he, eyes. he knew he didn't have to place it perfectly. He knew if he got it off high velocity when the goalie just couldn't quite pick it up, that mm. it was going to be dangerous. And I, I just thought that was such a ruthless bit 
of like hockey thinking on the fly, off the rush, you know, in a tied game uh, or not. No, yeah. No, trailing 2-1 yeah. um, that I just thought was was marvelous. And then he did it again. Like the if you go watch the second goal, you'll notice that Besser's screening and it's brilliant. Like it's a really good, tough screen. No matter what you do, that's going to be tough. And Lankinen looks around Besser for a split second, and it's in that split second that Pedersen shoots short side on him. So his his neck is craned to the opposite side of Besser's body, trying to get a trying to get a sight line, anticipating the the usual wrist shot you see from the flanks, which challenges the goalie far side. And it's in that moment that Pedersen shoots it where he knows the goalie can't see it. Brilliant, like just. Absolute thinking man's rich And I think, and by the way, we do have the crossover uh, with Donnie and Dolly coming up here in five minutes or so, but I, I do think it's worth keying in on those little details because that performance last night felt a little bit to me like a throwback to the Boudreaux bump era where the team didn't play particularly well from an underlying numbers perspective, but the goaltending and the game-breaking ability that you're just outlining there from Elias Pettersson helped them do enough to win the game. And the top of their lineup. In, the and, top of their in, lineup in general. And we're talking about Pedersen here, but Hughes was really good. Well, and, but I would go like 1A, Thatcher Demko. Mm. Two, one, one B, Hughes Hironic. And and 1C would be Pedersen's finishing game being so mm -hmm. fabulously on point. Uh, in the contest, you know, the, it, it's, it was a funny one, man. I, and and again, like, I'm watching that, and I just thought they didn't play well at all. Well, and I thought Pedersen kind of, like, I think it's very fitting that we're talking about him because he scores a hat trick, and that's amazing, and he's second in the league in scoring. He was just named the NHL's second star of the month. But even Rick Tockett asked about the hat trick. What is the first thing he says, asked about it last night, was, yeah, but he had a lot of turnovers, too. And yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like the story of Pedersen was the story of the Canucks where it looks really good on the scoreboard, but you can also see the flaws underlying it, which is wild to say about Elias Pedersen right now. But it's like you're second in the league in scoring. And yet I still feel like we haven't seen the best I, right I, now. I guarantee the play that Rick Tockett's thinking of, too, was there was that second period in particular was Plinko hockey, just like the puck was bouncing yeah. all over the place. I don't know if the ice was great. Right, we saw some slippages. We saw some slippage by a guy taking a penalty shot, which you don't often see. No, um, but another thing, like when I talk about like the bounces going Vancouver's way, it's like surrender a penalty shot, guy trips. Uh -huh. It's like okay, come on, you know, you know, you're rolling downhill when you're getting stuff like that happening in your games. But there was this sequence in the second, particularly scrambly. Predators applying all sorts of pressure. Canucks can't break out. Barely can connect two passes in a row. Uh, for like an extended three or four minute stretch. And Pedersen comes in low, slow, and available, a really smart bit of like off puck positioning from him to start the breakout. It goes to him. He's skating through the neutral zone. He makes like a really sharp cut, uh, a really smart deke. He kind of beats a defender who's not even that close. And then he crosses the blue line and just makes a, a complete Hail Mary pass that gets picked off. And it's, you know, a two on two the other way results in nothing. I don't even think it was a scoring chance, but it was just like, the turnover in that part of the ice is exactly what mm. I promise you. Talk it, watching it in, live, you know, had had a moment where he's just like, "Come on!" And what was funny was that it punctuated, you know, this, this like one moment of calm that I like noted as Pedersen was skating up ice. Like I thought, thought to myself, like, "Oh, this is gonna be good." Mm. <laughs> and then, and then, of course, you know, something talk it didn't mention, but it's Pedersen and Mikheyev that completely lose Colton Sissons on the back door. Uh, when Thatcher Demko, you know, outside his usual technical um, choices, 
But that's cool because Thatcher Demko abandoning save like classic save selection technique and feeling the game is something you want him to do. It's one of the things that separates him and makes it. it's, makes him so great. Um, but you know, it's rare that he cheat like that to challenge Yossi the way he did when the when the Predators sort of beat Hironic cleanly on an overlap there. But there's still two guys having his back door, and I guarantee you that was part of his calculation. Like, there's, this is a two-on-one. I think I can gamble a little here. And, um, yeah, so, so I mean, yeah, Pedersen's two-way game was inconsistent, but his finishing game was his just game so was good. Fantastic. Yeah. And then Hironic and Hughes, I thought, did dictate play every time they were on the ice. Uh, and that was the best part of Vancouver's two-way game by a mile for me. Uh, and then Demko was just really good. I, I think the chances that the Predators generated, too, aren't reflected on the shot clock. I saw a lot of people talking about 25 shots. Mm. Predators kept missing high, kept missing high. Like, it was one of those games where their uh, finishing game was and just absolutely not And there were even somewhere it was like, well, they didn't even really get a shot off, right? Let alone a shot on net, I thought. Where there were moments where they could have been more surgical and it didn't really materialize yeah, in the offensive zone. Like chances at chances that yeah, just exactly. sort of yeah. gut frittered away. Uh, yeah. And you do I wonder if a team with more offensive talent, more surgical on that side of the puck, might have made the Canucks pay uh, mm. a little bit more at that end of things. Uh, Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Very pleased now to be joined by our friends from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV every day from 10 to noon. And they join us here weekly for the crossover. It is Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall. What's going on, fellas? Well, uh, interesting game last night at, uh, at, at, at Rogers Arena. Can- Canucks win. And Rick Tockett wasn't all that happy afterwards. I kind of yeah. liked it. I loved it. He's not letting them get complacent. You got to love that from a coach. He's honest, right? And, you know, after the loss against the Rangers, yeah. had really good things to say after a loss, and then they win, and he's not as happy. And you, you, I think fans right now feel like they can trust. They know he's going to be a straight shooter when he's talking about the team right now. Yeah. I, I uh, um, Pedersen got three goals. I get it. He star of the game for a lot of people. I thought talk at post game was was the star just his honesty about how he liked the win the one goal win against the predators last week much better than the three goal win uh last night talking about how his team didn't play that all that well but the importance of coming up with two points when you don't play all that well and then you know justifying his benching of of jt miller i thought he was i thought he was uh, great last night can i ask you a question gentlemen and i'll, I'll pose it to you both i hope so when you win a game like that as a team right there's sort of two ways to take it one is you know they're not all going to be mona lisa's right good teams win the ugly game here and there especially you know if they're going to keep like a five game um unbeaten in regulation streak going so that's one read that's the optimistic read good teams win ugly games sometimes that's what we saw last night and and the other one is yeah you know, sometimes early in the season, a, a hot team outperforms their their actual form, and a game like that might hint at, at the fact that these this early success is fleeting. What's your read? What which one of those two did we see? In previous years, uh, Thomas, I don't think they win that uh, that game last night. You know, uh, look at uh, Demko's numbers: nine thirty six eight percentage, one point nine one goals against average. He's healthy. He's rested. Thanks to Casey DeSmith and the confidence the team has in him. They're not overplaying him. They're not behind in the standings. They don't have to overplay him. There's so many good things about 
the goaltending situation. Mm. Then I go to the confidence. When they gave up those two quick goals, Thomas, back-to-back 30 seconds, uh, that, that was not great defending. There was a lot of reaching around, reaching in in the, new, in, in the slot, and it, it wasn't good puck management. There was a lot of things not going right, but they found a way to a win. Good teams do that. I don't think they win that game a year, year and a half, two, three years from now, uh, ago. But I, last night, I'm just looking at the makeup of this team. I'm looking at a well-coached team. I'm looking at a team that is getting rid of some of their bad habits from the past two or three years, and I see a team that is believing in their coach and doing what he is preaching. Yeah, it it seems real. There was a stretch, I want to say in the third period, guys, like a five, seven-minute stretch where there wasn't a, a, a whistle, Yeah, and they, they seem fast. They seem mm. faster than they've been in, in a long, long time. The other thing that makes me think it's real is because – when Rick Tockett first took over last season, he talked about this sort of thing, that the mark of a good team is when you're not good, you end up with a point or two, and that was the case, something that he's preached and you know something that they certainly did uh, last night. So that makes me think that there's there's something there's something here. I don't think it's a, I don't think it was a one-off. The the, the speed line's interesting because Andrew Burnett, Nashville Predators coach at the morning skate yeah. on Tuesday, said that the Canucks were the fastest team the Predators had played in the early going. Um, Not something we've heard a lot about this club in previous years. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, maybe with Mikheyev, not yet uh, 100%. If that that happens, then that speed goes up a notch. But just that that sequence there, uh, guys, and you can help me as to when it exactly happened. It was, there was minor hockey last night. There was a lot of stuff, <laughs> lot of stuff going on in the Taylor household, Halloween, yep. uh, you name it. But I just thought, man, they, they look way faster than they were last year. I don't know if it was, it, it was just me. but yeah, that's, it was, that, I didn't hear that from Andrew Burnett, but that's interesting. Maybe from around like 10 to 4 minutes left in the third period, Donnie, I think is the, the sequence yeah. you were talking about. You mentioned uh, Rick Tockett, one of the stars of the, uh, of the night last night for his post-game comments. Mm-hmm. Also gets a lot of attention for a brief benching of JT Miller at the end of the second period. Only about four minutes. Misses a power play shift, another shift with his regular line at five on five. Then he comes back out for the third, ends up scoring a goal. What did you make of how Rick Tockett decided to handle that in-game and what he had to say after the game as well? If you're going to say uh, in practice, remember Philadelphia, earn your F in ice time, mm-hmm. if, if you know, it, the hardest thing to do in hockey and all sports is treat everyone the same because there's guys making $9 million, guys making $1 million, guys making $5 million. Everyone's got different rope to deal with. Uh, you know, some guys got a longer leash, some guys don't. If you're on the fourth line, you're very close to the press box. And if you're on the fourth line, you're very close to Abbotsford. And you know what? It's a different leash for different guys. But what he did last night was he sent a message to the rest of his team. I don't care who's making $9 million or $1 million. That if, if, if you're going to take that many undisciplined penalties, you're going to pay the price. He, I thought it was a great message. Um, before last night, do you know that JT Miller only had four minutes in, in penalties in the first eight games? Mm-hmm. For some odd reason last night, and the unsportsmanlike penalty obviously doesn't help. But even the best players, the message was sent last night, you will be parked on the bench. And as a coach, I thought he did a great thing last night. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. And the unsportsmanlike call, you, you you know, as a leader, you just you just can't uh, do that. The other thing with his uh, penalties 
is and coaches at all levels emphasize is don't keep your stick down, keep mm-hmm. your hands down, mm. and that that's that's minor hockey stuff. And he he was guilty of that. And Rick Tockett let him let him know about that. And Rick just talk about talked about the uh, the message. Look, you you sit down, Dakota Joshua. I don't know how yeah. much, and nothing against him. I don't know how much impact that ha- has. But you sit down, a guy making that much money, oh, yeah. with that kind of resume, big that's time. that's a big time message. And then we hear today. I know um, JT Miller didn't talk to the media yesterday, but he was the first player on the ice at practice today. So read into that what what, what you will. Yep. Do you guys care at all? And, and he didn't do. Uh, 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 Thomas said, you know, JT. I, I know the Canucks have their reasons for not making them available to the media last night. And, of course, he was supposed to join your radio station this morning. It didn't Mm -hmm. happen as well. Um, But, you know, we had a big discussion on our show last week about referees should be made available to the media when they make bad calls. Um, You know, whether he was being at an injury or whatever he was being dealt with, that was the only negative I I, I saw last night. I I, I thought JT should have come out and and talked to the media. Uh, I think it would have been great. Uh, to get his views last night, but it didn't happen. Yeah, well, that's what uh, I was going to ask. Are going to ask, do, do you we care? care? Yeah. What? Do you care that care a player in that situation doesn't ad- address the, their game, an eventful game for them, with the media post game? Does, does it matter to you at all? I'll tell you why I care, uh, Thomas, and I'll tell you why. You heard uh, JT Miller on the podcast in the summer, and, and you heard his, his emotion, his, his, his honest feelings, his thoughts. JT Miller's a guy that I want to hear from. When times are not only good, but when they're bad as well. You know, you go back to the incident in Winnipeg where he slammed mm. his stick, remember? And oh, everyone yeah. got all up in arms, bad body language, blah, blah, blah. Well, he came out eventually and talked about it and gave a real rational explanation. So why couldn't there be one uh, for last night? I didn't mind. It'd be, I, look, I, we, you and I differ on the whole uh, officials talking after yeah. games. But what's JT Miller going to say? Yeah. Uh, like, no, you disagree with me here. Uh, what, what, what I want to he hear from say? him. I, he's probably going to smooth it over. I think it. Look for what we do for a living. Him not talking is probably better. <laughs> better for a, a, a talk show, and hey. that we can criticize him for not talking. I didn't mind it at all. Hey, I mean, Dodd, <laughs> Dodd, you guys, Dodd, listen. Yeah, you guys should make Thomas available after every uh, every after you get off the air to talk about all his bloody he mistakes. He can't stop arguing with people on Twitter. That's all he does. He's constantly available. Oh, I know. If anything, yeah, he know. needs to do it. But Donnie, you. You're right, because if he speaks last night, then it's not a story today, right? Because, you know, you look at the way Talkett handled it, and he said pretty simply, yeah, I just thought he needed to sit. Then we talked about it. He's good. We're good. He's awesome. And if JT says something similar last night, then it's done. He'll probably talk to the media today, but it's just one of those things where it maybe lingered a little bit longer in the conversation than it would have if he had spoken last night, I think. Jamie, let me me just say this. When it comes to Drance... He got criticized by people watching our show today. We had a couple of texts uh, today oh. ripping into Drance out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. You and I got lumped together because <laughs> because we've been calling for a rebuild, and this guy yeah. came up with this massive scenario and put that in your pipe and smoke it, Drance. Yeah. You weren't on our show today. Maybe when I'm off air. Drance gets, um, <laughs> Drance gets ripped in our text line all the time. People tag me on Twitter complaining about Drance. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. I don't, I don't control him. Hey, I, I like appre- his T-shirt today. I like his T-shirt. Thank you. I, hey, look, I appreciate it. I, um, you know, I, I think criticism is part of the game. You know, in in dealing with players and having dealt with players, I do think there are times where if you're too emotional to represent 
yourself the way you want to represent yourself, right? We all know reputation takes forever to build up and no time at all to dash. If you're not at a point where you can represent yourself in that moment the way you want to be represented, I I do think you're better off taking 12 hours worth of of arrows for for not speaking than you are to speak. Um, You know, I think about Miller in Pittsburgh. Do you remember the Pittsburgh? um, Is everyone buying in? And he sort of non-answered it and it became a thing. You know, that's a moment Mm. where you would be better off having not been available, right? Mm. Just as an example. Uh, Whereas the rational answer he gave about the Delia incident, Dollywall, that was months later. Like, months later. So, you know, if if he needed some time to compose himself, I don't know what the actual reason is that he didn't speak. I don't know, like, if he just wanted to be with family or, you know, and I do know that he hasn't paid attention to the 12 hours of conversation about it since because he's JT Miller. But, you know, I I do think there's moments selectively where you you can be best off uh, not talking, but... I also do think the the message of accountability sort of requires also being accountable to fans, you know, through the media. So yeah. it's it's right. It's I one guess, where I, I guess can see both sides. Yeah, yeah. I guess he's going to get there. You mentioned maybe today. Uh, oh yeah. After uh, yeah. practice, look what what did we want really? Like I talked about him. He'd probably come out and talk and you know softball everything and and not really really say that much. But but as members of the media, what we really wanted was for him to just rip into talking. That would have been <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. That that wasn't going to happen. But maybe he maybe that's where he was going, and maybe that was a good idea to take that you know to take that break and not talk to the media. You, you know, you guys, you've you've played. Sports sports, coach sports, in minor hockey, they have the 24-hour rule. Oh, right. yeah. Whereas yeah. You're, yeah. you're a parent and you're, you're, uh, you want to complain about your kid's ice time or something the coach did, give it 24 hours and then send, send your email. And maybe, maybe that's where uh, JT is coming uh, from uh, right now. A little yeah. time to cool off and then talk. And respect if that's the case, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah makes sense. Yeah. Um, the, uh, by the way, that 24-hour rule never happens. <laughs> it never works. <laughs> Not because in the 24 well. yeah. Yeah. Because in the 25th hour, they still send a seven-page email. Not before that. <laughs> yeah. uh, what are the other stories from last night? Elias Pettersson, hat trick with the empty net goal. Uh, his first hat trick in a long time since his rookie year. Second in league scoring right now. Uh, named the NHL's second star of the month. I mean, you're. I think Canucks fans are enjoying it. Obviously, the team is playing well, but this guy just keeps adding more and more leverage to his contract case right now, right, with, with him being an RFA. Uh, after this season, Rick, what are your sources telling you? Uh, Rick, how nothing. big is we're just J- going to JP Barry smiling right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's doing cartwheels. He's doing cartwheels. He's doing cartwheels. He's I'd doing like to see that. Well, and he's got he's got not only JP Barry, but it's Pat Brisson. I mean, uh, Thomas, you know this. That's a powerful agency behind Pedersen and Hughes, and 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 you know they've done multitude of contracts of this nature. Uh, it's going to be a big number, guys. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. You, you know, Donnie and I talked about our poll question and is, you know, what are the comparables mm. for Pedersen if he wins uh, this year the Hart? Uh, Art uh, Ross. Art uh, Ross. And it's, it, whatever the comparables are now, guys, in six months, it doesn't matter because it's going to be a whole new set of comparables. And um, I don't know why the Canucks didn't get it done in the summer. I, I think they should have given it a real good try because uh, – uh, Patterson and his agents bet on the player. The Canucks maybe wanted to know, did, can he do 100 points again? Well, I think we know the answer now, you know. Yeah. So 
Uh, that number, uh, whatever it is, in the next few months. But here's another thing. I was told this morning, everybody relax. His UFA year is not this year. It's his RFA year. You know, his UFA year is still a year and a half away. You had to be told but that this morning? <laughs> <laughs> I was told... To calm down, Thomas. It's not going to get done today. That's what I mean. Got it, they got a ton of time, and the Canucks, the Canucks are telling people too. We have a ton of time to give. He's club but, controlled. But look at what the Devils did with Jack Hughes, who's yeah. leading the NHL in points. Yep. Uh, eight years, eight million. Uh, you know they got on that, and it's a steal at this point. Yeah, well, big time. Uh, but and Thomas, uh, we all know this. Uh, J.P. Barry told them in the last negotiation, he said, Get, do Pedersen long-term, and they couldn't do it. And they're in this mess with him contract-wise because Erickson, uh, Beagle, Russell, uh, all that stuff, they had no cap money to do him long-term, and they're going to pay the price. Yep. Did Did you take the advice and calm down, Rick? You got a little heated there, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> you, you said somebody well, told you Drance, to calm down. He, always, uh, he pisses me off, Drance, all the time. 24-hour rule. 24-hour oh, yeah, yeah. rule, yeah. Hey, if I can keep away from Drance for 24 hours, that, that'd be the best 24 hours of my life. <laughs> be, good, be good for your blood pressure, but be bad for your program, right? You'd have less to yell about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, I know you were reporting uh, yesterday, I believe, as well, Rick, team... Working the phones in a big way, obviously off to a good start. They'd still like to do more, potentially add. Do you get a sense of, I mean, is this, you know, working to add around the margins or are they interested in doing something bigger even if they can? I know it's difficult, really difficult with the cap around the league to do uh, big moves right now. Look, they're 6-2-1, and one, guys. And if you can add and make it even better, why not? And they, they've been known. They, I was told they're one of the more active teams out there trying to do something and uh, this uh, management team is is they want to go they want to get at it you know they want to get at it. Um, they believe. They believe. They, That's look, your standard answer nah, for they, every. When you have nothing going on, they're working the phones. That's nah, what he always says. What are you oh. talking about? It, it, I'm telling you, they're one of the more aggressive teams out there trying to get something done. Sorry, I also love when you go what, from Grant's, when 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 the report goes from working the phones, and then it's like, well, what would they like to add? Yeah. And it's like top six forward, top four defenseman. It's like, oh yeah, so they're an NHL team. <laughs> They're making phone calls, and they want to add a top six yeah. forward and a top four defenseman like 31 other NHL they teams. Want, they want to get know. some good players. Canucks, still a team. Calm down. Yeah, but Calm it, down, just, just the fact. But, <laughs> but, but, Thomas, they don't have – Thomas. They're they, not rebuilding is what they you're They don't saying. have to be super aggressive right now, Thomas. The fact that you're hearing they are is something to me, right? Yeah, no, you're right. You know? You're right. Do, do you yeah, think they're they really – They sit back and enjoy this, but – Do you think they're keen to reward the group? Like, do you get a reward now for yeah. nine games? Well, I don't think it's rewarding. I think okay. it's just adding and, can you know, you, you don't want to play catch-up. Look at the last five years. Uh, by Christmas, they're basically out of it, mm. right, guys? I mean, they got a, they got a chance now to get ahead of the game for the first time in a long time. And look at their division. So many teams yeah. going south. Take advantage of it. That's the biggest thing. But I don't thing think rewarding from. is a it's bad awesome. idea. To, I, I don't think rewarding is a bad idea, given what we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, they want to sign Elias Pettersson. That's right. Like, show them that you're, you, you know, and again, I'm, I've been a rebuild guy, but if, if indeed that's your focus yeah. now, yeah. Uh, you know, show them that you, you're you're serious. Show yeah. Elias Pettersson you're serious. You see what's happening That's down. It. And this is a bad comparison. That's a reward I can not. get behind. The Seahawks. Seahawks. The the Seahawks, right? The, the you know what what they've done? Like they're yeah. all of a sudden out of nowhere leading the NFC West. They just made a big trade with the Giants yeah, but for a but defensive they're, lineman. They're, they're they're rewarding their team. But they're fifty percent through their season. 
You know, I mean, it's one yeah, thing. It's one point. thing to have played forty games and be like, "We're gonna mm-hmm. trade a second and Madden for Tyler Toffoli." You know, like that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But to to do it after ten, you know, I, I think an extension, something like that, that makes sense to me. Something that's like we're in on this group, that makes sense to me. But but if if you're trading, yeah, where we want to, if you're trading any sort of futures but, but, at six two and one with a with a sky high. Combined save percentage, shooting percentage, you're courting disaster. Need to let this play out a little okay. further. And they better not, they better not trade any uh, prospects, guys. They finally the pool starting to look a little better. You got Lakara Mackey lighting it up. Mm-hmm. Baines is lighting it up. Uh, you got Biscavage in Ontario like lighting it up. Who? I, you know what? I go for it. <laughs> huh? Who? <laughs> what? Don't do this to him. Uh, Biscavage. <laughs> Who? Close enough. The okay, Bay so, of okay, Mr. Harvard, Princeton, I'm never wrong. I know it all. How do you pronounce it? Bruce Stevich. Huh? Bruce Stevich. Uh, dude, I've you got Polish heritage. You know what else? wrong, that, too. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go oh, with that Bruce name. Oh, Bruce Stevich. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I've, I've been saying Buscavich and Taylor all week has been saying Buscavich. Well, who is Drance, right? Look at all the people ah, criticizing him. Come on. I talked Bruce to Stevich. his coach, we... Mike McKenzie in Kitchener. Okay. Well, we... <laughs> I thought it was Buscavich. Drance and I, we talked to him at the at the dev camp after he got drafted, and that's what he told us. It so was also my told first... You. It yeah. was also my first well, question to know? him. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was also my first question to him in Nashville when he got to the pod. I said, before we start, will you say your last name? You got to. Yeah. Brustevich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Donnie and I can't get that Lube- uh, B- Bolivier right, so <laughs> you might as well have I another. can get that part right. I just can't get his first name right. I call him Nathan uh, Bolivier. You call him Nathan. Nathan. Uh, yeah, it's just his name. Nathan Bolivier. Nathan Bolivier. I mean, Bolivier is <laughs> yeah, a country yeah. in South <laughs> America, yeah. boys. <laughs> No. (laughs) Thank God you're perfect, Thomas. You know, you come across uh, Mr. Harvard, Princeton. I know it all. Perfect. You're not. Nice T-shirt, though. Again, we'll mention that. Hey, Dodd, I don't know how you haven't ended up in a psychologist chair sitting next to him every day. I think he's in one right now. I'm earning my salary. I'll tell you that much. All right, doing this job. Yeah. Uh, Guys, we've gone off the rails here enough. I think uh, we we should probably wrap it up here. Thanks for doing this, fellas. Uh, We'll catch up next week. Also, Rick, it's Prince Don. Outstanding, guys. Outstanding. Adios so much. (laughs) Bye. That is uh, Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall uh, from Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV joining us here as they do every week for the crossover. And, of course, you can uh, watch their program 10 to noon every day on Czech TV. I think Rick's actually mad at me this time. Producer Dom wants to say something. I would also like to promote that you can now watch these segments in full on Sportsnet's YouTube channel. Very good. So the the pure chaos and magic of of the crossover now available in full on Sportsnet's Sportsnet's YouTube channel. Yeah, Drance and Dolly waving at each other periodically throughout the, the hit. You can see the look in, in Dollywall's eyes when he gets really ticked off at you for no apparent reason. Just your, <laughs> just your presence being reminded of you. My favorite to... is the, huh? Eh? Huh? <laughs> My favorite was when he was describing being told to calm down. He was like, people told me to calm down. <laughs> it's like, did it, did it work? Did you take the advice, Rick? Uh, Uh, All right, we will take a break here. Lots more coming up on the show. What a beauty. We'll continue to dive into uh, the Miller story, last night's game. Take your text as well here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drans, live from the Kintec Studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And yeah, you can uh, very shortly check out the full edition of the crossover on Sportsnet's YouTube channel for uh, just an incredible piece of uh, radio content every week with the boys from Dottie and Dolly, Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall. Um, All right, we had a little bit of a chance to get into the win, the game last night against the Nashville Predators. Uh, And we touched on the JT Miller thing with uh, Donnie and Dolly as well, but worth getting into a, a little bit more, I think, right? Just the dynamic of, and, you know, the dynamic of Rick Tockett sitting JT Miller down for a little bit, but then bringing him back in the third period. Miller scores. You heard the commentary after the game from Rick Tockett, not from JT Miller. And I just think, like, this is another example of Rick Tockett. You know, what? one of the things I've been saying this season, he's pressing all the right buttons right now. And I'm not saying, like, oh, because – and JT Miller scored because he was benched or anything like that. But the decision to, you know, commit to your lines about – and your what you're selling about accountability and sit one of the team's best players, even for a limited time. But then also the very forthright and upfront way you addressed it, dealt with it, Afterwards, I think that's just more evidence of Rick Tockett having the pulse of this team right now. And I don't think it's going to – when I saw it, because I was out trick-or-treating with my kids, right? And I bet I'm also checking the Slacker. game. Yeah, I know. I'm a horrible person. <laughs> I decided to – Having a family I decided life. to <laughs> trick-or-treat with my kids rather than watch a Tuesday I, Nashville Canucks I, game I, I got in a, real time. I got a lot of that because I wrote a column sort of being pretty critical of, of what I saw as a pretty poor Canucks performance yeah. last night. Um, and a lot of people were like, you didn't write anything over the weekend. You were just waiting. And it's like, no, like I would have written something positive after that blues game. I promise you. I just was enjoying a weekend after 20 straight days on. Um, yeah. So I, but I'm, you know, I'm out, but Work I'm also life balance is good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And hey, it's trick or treating. Come on. It's, it's fantastic. It's how amazing. Mu- how much, how many pieces of candy? I haven't done kids... the count. You didn't? But they did pretty well. Did you guys, do you guys do like the store? Like when you get home and you organize it? Oh, really? No, they're not. They're not capable. Of but there is a yet. candy tax, right? Yeah, but well, it's not th- like they don't know. It's about not it. set. It's it's up to my <laughs> my discretion what the candy tax is, and, and it usually happens after bedtime. So how, how significant is the like? Are you tithing? Do you think you're going twenty five percent? Probably tithing, something like that. I would say, yeah. <laughs> the carbon tax and Jamie's candy tax. Yeah. Okay, guys. <laughs> guys. <laughs> But anyways, my I, point is... I wish I'd asked Rick Dollywall if he was tithing. <laughs> <laughs> what? Huh? What? I'm, uh, I'm ah. following along on Twitter as, I, as I'm out there trick-or-treating, so I'm not that good a dad, I guess. But, you know, and I see all the references to, like, oh, JT Miller, he's on door duty, he's so at lo- the end of the bench. So you're, specifically, you're specifically following along on Twitter while they're crossing the street. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, oh boy, okay, this is going to be a big, this is a big deal, right? Like, this is something we're going to talk about tomorrow. And I note that it's in the second period, but then later the night I'm watching the game and I keep waiting for the benching to happen. And then it's like, oh, it's like four minutes when he gets out of the penalty box that he's benched. And so it's four minutes and I'm not saying it makes it not a story. It's still significant that he wasn't on the power play unit, but it's also like, it wasn't as if he sat for the rest of the game. Like no. then that's a really big deal. But he played 13 right? minutes. I agree. This is a guy who plays 20 plus and... This is a guy who's been, you know, again, we're early and I'm still thirsty for data, right? Like, there's things about the Canucks that have surprised me, 
right? Or that I've been incorrect about or, or what have you, but that I'm not like willing to concede on, right? Like, for example, I wasn't riding for this as a, a surefire playoff team, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, I, I was sort of saying I think their true talent level is somewhere in that low 90s range, 90-92. I liked their value as a playoff team. I thought they'd be close. I mm-hmm. thought they'd be better. But so so p- put it this way. I'm not at the point yet where I'm like, well, I, I, I was way off mm. on what this team is. Um, but I might get there. In the early going, one of the things that I'm like most surprised by, that I've been most incorrect about, Sort of the the counterpoint to my Pierre Dorian fade position, which we can get into at some point, today. <laughs> which has aged very well, is JT Miller's defensive play as like a tough minute center, right? And and you know, I've I've always thought Miller was a really good player. I've I've generally liked him more on the wing, and one of the reasons I've generally liked him more on the wing is that I thought he was a plus two way guy on the wing, and uh, far far closer to average two-way guy, if if not below average, at center, especially at the top of the lineup. And he's come in and he's driven play and he's been a boss and he's been physical and he's controlled games. Um, and that line's been Vancouver's best and most consistent on a nightly basis. Like, th- this is the best two-way hockey he's ever played of his career. And, you know, again, nine games. It, if it was just nine games, I'd, I'd be saying the same thing I am about Vancouver's true talent level. Like, I'm not adjusting my priors off of nine games when they have 106 PDO. Mm-hmm. Like, this is 45 games now under Tockett where Miller's two-way form has been like that. Like, we're getting to a point where, um, you know, I, I'm going to have to look for other explanations, right? And, 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 and concede, like, hey, I, I probably had, it, had my evaluation on this guy wrong. I'd say he's been like the player. We've seen Demko crush it. We've seen Quinn Hughes. He's leading all defensemen in scoring. He leads all defensemen in shots. Pedersen's number two yep. in the league in scoring. Like we've seen some great performances, but I think the standout surprise, like the guy who's been punching the most above what we could have reasonably expected to be their weight coming into the season was was JT. Well, I think he symbolizes the identity shift that they're trying to build. Totally, right? yes. From, from so well put. Produ- producing, but having, you know, the Colin Delia moment or the outbursts or the turnovers or whatever it is to producing, but also just being rock solid, steady, and dependable. And you're seeing how that translates from winning games more consistently or how it can translate into that as well. He's the symbol of that because it wasn't, not that he was the only person that needed to change his habits, far from that, but I think just you're seeing, we're still seeing similar, maybe slightly leveled up versions of Pedersen and Hughes, although I don't really think so from a overall play, I, from I Pedersen's standpoint. I think we are from From Hughes, Hughes I think yeah. we are, right? We've seen it from Demko before, but at center for a long stretch, like, this is what you can see JT Miller representing all of the things that Rick Tockett was trying to get this team to do. Mm. Except, and then and I think it's noticeable then when there's a bit of a relapse, right? Like, that, that, that makes it stand out all the more when there's a relapse there. One of the things I would have been most interested in hearing Miller address, and I hope one of my colleagues, I might actually text one of my colleagues who's at practice today since we're in the studio for crossover, um, to ask is, was the reaction on the Forsberg chicken wing, right? Like how much of that is built up frustration, right? Because think about it this way. Canucks fans were apoplectic as the Edmonton Oilers had the, had a parade of power plays mm-hmm. in the second game of the year. And I thought, for the most part, Canucks fans were wrong on that, by the way. But the next night in Philadelphia, there were another few, right? Like Philadelphia also had a power play edge. 
And, and again, I thought Canucks fans were being a little precious about it. And then in Tampa, you had the, um, which was the really soft one. The one on... Uh, I'd have to go back and look. But Anyway, there was a really soft one, and then Myers put the puck over the glass to yep. create the five on three. But there was a really soft one. And then whatever Panthers... I don't think there was anything memorable, but that first game against Nashville, the Canucks had the puck 90% of the game and draw zero power plays until late when Heronic mm-hmm. sells one. But there were like obvious, an obvious trip on Garland, an obvious trip on Hoaglander. And then you come home, you crush the Blues, whatever, nothing, nothing to write home about that that game was over before it started. But you get the Rangers game and you have a variety of slanted calls yeah. go against the Canucks. After Rick Tockett goes repeatedly out of his way to say how how much he loves the job the refs are doing, which the, cracked me up. The refs aren't just calling it perfectly, but they're also handsome. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And you could just see him thinking like, man, I, I went out on a limb for you guys, and this is how you're repaying me. A, a, a credit to the league and to their ancestors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know why they'd be a credit to their ancestors. But for doing a great job. Yeah, no, it's I don't know why I went there. Anyway, the um, so I wonder if it was less about the the call in the moment, because for me that's a no brainer call. Like, mm. not only did I think it was a hook, but I thought it also was a slash. Yeah. And when I first saw the four minutes go up on the board, I thought, wow, that's really harsh that they called him for both the slash and the hook. Before I realized that it was because he skated all the way down with the ref arguing the entire way to the penalty box. I wonder if it was pent up eight games worth or at least seven games worth of of magnified frustration that, you know, this team's feeling like you're not getting the calls despite playing the right way. Right. You know, I wonder I wonder how much of it was that. And, you know, again, it's one of those things where if we'd had a chance to ask him and he'd said that, I think a lot of Canucks fans would have been like, yeah, damn right. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, and we'll see. Look, I would have loved to hear from him yesterday or this morning on on Halford and Bruff, but he'll talk after practice today. The team's on the ice right now. And I think, you know, in some ways similar to the performance in Philadelphia, where it was a bad, like not something you want, but you have a chance to turn it into a positive based on how you rebound and how you react to it, right? Like I think that's what Rick Tockett did when in his comments is it's not ideal. You never want to be benching one of your top players, even for a short spell in a game, but you turn it into a message about accountability. There's a way to actually turn it into a positive story, right? Like, hey, it worked. He bought in. We hashed it out. We're good. And I think there's a chance for Miller to do the same thing, right? Yeah. To make this like, this could actually be a, we'll be looking back at this not as, oh man, that was another tough thing that the Canucks had to deal with, but that was another moment where we saw this team grow, right? Where we saw the culture of accountability take take hold here. Well, it takes brass ones too. I mean, that power play opportunity, that's in a 2-2 game, right? That's in a 2-2 game, power yep. play opportunity, Heronic steps on the ice instead of JT Miller. And if you go watch that entire sequence, like, the puck comes to Heronic, it's bobbled. They noticeably the, the, miss JT Miller. The front, the 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 defender fronting it comes out, pressures him. He has to make a desperation play back to Quinn Hughes. Like they very nearly lost possession prior to Elias Pettersson's goal because JT Miller wasn't there. Like specifically because they had a defender in that spot. So, you know, they, there there was like a real risk to the to the team's like weighted chances of of getting heads on the coin flip that that Rick Tockett was willing to incur to send that message it paid off and then Miller gets sort of a greasy one in the third period uh all's well that ends well but I mean 
that that's a gamble. Like that's a gamble mm-hmm. that when a coach does something like that in a key moment like that, and and if it goes a different way, we're having a very different conversation. Like, what if Heronic bobbles it and the puck goes the other way, and there's like a, a shorty, sh- a, like an unlucky bounce to cause a shorthanded goal? I mean, there's a real gamble, a real risk there that Tockett sort of coolly took. It paid off for him, and you know. I think everyone can appreciate the message sent. And I think Rick Tockett would probably acknowledge that it is a risk, but that the reward, even if it didn't pay off last night, the reward is long-term, right? Like you're risking your 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 team's effectiveness in a key moment in that game in October against Nashville in the hopes that maybe you don't win that game last night, although you do end up, so that's great, but in the hopes that the the message you're sending to Miller and the team pays long-term dividends, right? Like, I think that's the calculation. It's not just about that game last night. It's no. about trying to set yourself your team up to succeed for the rest of the season, for well, the remainder, and, and you know, beyond. 75 games or whatever. And beyond. Like, this core mm. group, JT Miller's locked in here for a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and and if JT Miller's not bought into what you want to do... Right, you're going to incur all sorts of headaches because he's the biggest character. He's got the most weight in that room. He's got the long, longest contract. Right, like there's there's additional considerations. Um, I thought it was a gutsy move. I, talk it right now can't put a foot out of place, or or at least he hasn't. I mean, no, he hasn't this year. No. He really hasn't. He's impressed. His like every his messaging, move, every message has been spot on and worked. Right yep. away. You know, not just sounded good, it's worked as well. Messaging, preparation, lineup decisions, like it's all it's all been sharp. I, I mean, uh, you know, he, he's been wildly impressive in his, you know, 45 games now. I mean, we're, we're approaching the talk at 50 game mark um, in his coaching tenure. Uh, it, it's it's all been pretty good, you know, results-wise anyway. Yeah, it's... Um... And and even last night, I mean the uh, the overall performance, not what he wanted, right? But the team gets the result, and you know, I, again, I think the messaging is exactly bang on. That he's, you know, that wasn't an identity game for us, but it's a good opportunity to learn. We're going to keep building, right? Um, look at the response after Myers spoke after the Tampa game, said what he said, and everyone moved on, no issues whatsoever. Um, so I, I assume that means the commentary Myers had with me mm. in Tampa after his. Uh, and I, I do think we should call out that Myers was, like, immense, especially late in that game last night, and his ice time ticked back up. Um, Myers has seemingly come through, you know, what Rick called a little bit of adversity last night. Um, none the worse for wear, right? Like, pl- played really calm hockey. Um, third pair looks good on him. You know, like that, yep. I think, good spot s- for him right slotted now. appropriately, and then and then having his usage tick up situationally i mean i think that's exactly what we were talking about right that's the you know can he be eric johnson on a really good team role that that i've always contended he can uh before we take a break chef swagger from hell's kitchen says what does talk it have to do the rest of the way to be nominated for the jack adams award just as steady as she goes man like more of this more of this if this team touches 100 points because we also have the uh dom's model as the canucks only getting 100 points they're currently on pace for 118 so canucks over under 109.5 Hammer the under. <laughs> His team has the top PDO in the league. Like, th- their PDO actually went down but last night. Dom's 
Dom's model, eighty-two percent chance, play. playoff chance. Well, and that's but that's not just it's reacting. Not just the Canucks. No, that's not just reacting to the Canucks. That's also reacting to what we've Calgary seen in the rest of Seattle. the Pacific. Yeah. Um. So, but my point is, is hundred nine point five. That's a huge bar. I, I mean, I I would hammer that under, uh, just as I would have hammered the eighty-seven point five over. over prior to the season and then one other one that i just wanted to spotlight before we go for break uh unsigned texter says i had a man with a full beard uh trick or treat (laughs) uh at my place no kids he just wanted candy lol dude was probably 30 just want to apologize to that unsigned texter (laughs) for for what i did on my way home for running around the the neighborhood trying to get candy trying to get more candy uh we'll take a break here jason bukala from sportsnet uh, joins us next we'll get his thoughts on uh, what are you seeing from the canucks and also some of the prospects in the system as well more canucks talk coming up here sportsnet 650 Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nas track. This is the Nas track. Another vote. Nas track. You can't take being wrong back. Josh, Josh admission says, hey guys, also, I was listening to yesterday's podcast and I got to say, Drance is wrong about the Illmatic thing. It sounds more like the God's Son album, if anything. That's from Josh admission. Whose world is this? The world is Jamie's. To admit he's wrong in. No, the world is mine because I'm right. (laughs) Uh, All right. We don't want to get off. We don't want to get off the rails here again on this one. Uh, we'll I, save it for the last segment. It's Canuck Talk, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Now very pleased to be joined on the line by one of our favorites. Uh, he is a former NHL scout. Now he's Sportsnet NHL analyst. He is Jason Bukla. Jason, thank you as always. How are you? Doing fantastic, fellas. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're uh, enjoying a hot start for the Canucks. A little bit of controversy and drama in the game last night with JT Miller having a short stint on the bench. Rick Tockett talked about it after the game, but another win, 6-2-1. and one. And, you know, I, we'll get to some of the prospects and the, the guys coming up in the Canucks system, but I did just want to start with some of your thoughts on what we're seeing from the Canucks. And, you know, JT Miller in particular, there's been so much debate, you know, should he be on the wing? Can he handle a matchup role at center? And so far, he's been excellent I- I- as a two-way player down the middle. What are you seeing from JT Miller right now? I think more importantly, what I'm seeing from him and the entire group is a buy-in that I haven't seen in the past. And last year, if we, if we think back to last year and if what happened to JT last night, I was watching the game and, you know, I saw him take, you know, a couple penalties, obviously the first one, the, the kind of marginal hook and then he's yapping off to the referee and uh, you know, whatever I, I see him get, you know, kind of sat down. They, he pulls him back. The head coach pulls him back a year ago, guys. I think he would have been checked out for the rest of the game. I really do. Like, you know, emotionally, I think I would have checked them out. This year, not so much. I'm seeing much more of a buy-in. Um, I still like to compete after, uh, you know, a message was being sent there. But I also have to say something else. 
I, I got a lot of time for a coach who sends a message in the middle frame and then puts the, the player, I don't care who you are, back in a position to succeed and carry a load and make an impact in the third period, and, and, the, and the player answers the bell. So a lot of really good kind of uh, subtle things that went on there. Jason, from what you're seeing, like Andrew Burnett called the Canucks the fastest team the Predators have played yet this season. Um, what are you seeing from the Canucks? How much are you buying this 6-2-1 and one start? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. Like, in, you know, internally I'm excited about it. Obviously this team has teased me in the past, some of the core, uh, where we've, we've had some ebbs and flows and they've been, they've gone on long runs depending on the, the time of the year where we look or they look like, you know, they're ready to take a step or they should at least be a playoff time. Here's the thing. I think in the past, um, you know, there was some, some roster issues or some players that we could all debate uh, weren't pulling their weight in their role. Um, we had some contractual distractions, et cetera, et cetera. What I see right now is, again, a unit that's pulling the, the rope in the same direction. I do think they're playing fast. I, I definitely think they're playing faster uh, transitioning pucks. I mean, Heronic, um, and I'm going to uh, – listen, full transparency. When they made that deal, I didn't know that the timing was right, and I'm on record for saying that. So uh, I think it's also important for me to reflect on, on, on what I saw at that time and say to you today that I'm seeing a completely different full of Peronic in Vancouver than I saw in Detroit. And, and he's added an element to the, to the Canucks on the back end that is different than some other people and definitely uh, compliments, you know, Quinn Hughes, who is obviously, you know, going to get the majority of the attention. I like it, guys. I think that they're structured. I think that they're, they're pulling the rope in the same direction. They're playing with energy. And, uh, and the, coach, the coach has got them, uh, you know, I don't want to say scared, but let's just say he's got their full attention. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, the Hronick and Quinn Hughes pairing and how successful it's been. And Hronick deserves his credit, as you said. But I think we're also seeing Quinn Hughes maybe play some of the best hockey of his career. Has he taken even another step forward uh, so far this season from the already very, very high level he was at previously. 100% agree with that. I mean, I was, so last night when I was watching the game, I, uh, um, the nerd scouting me watched the period. And then I went to my, uh, my, my computer, like my scouting system. And I broke down some of his uh, transitional moments. I mean, you know, there's elite skaters in the league, like with the capability. And then there's Quinn Hughes, like, this guy's edges and the way he can escape on both sides, like it's, it's absolutely elite. And, you know, I wasn't sure about him so much as a captain. Uh, to me, he's, he's kind of a cerebral kind of a guy. Um, you know, how's that going to, he's taken that leadership role and taken his game to another level. So when we talk about lead by example, guys, um, the connects are off to a good start and their newfound captain is a, is a big part of that in the way that he's presenting his game and taking it to another level. Do you think this is the year that the Eastern Seaboard starts to take notice uh, of what Quinn Hughes has become? I hope so. I really do. I mean, the the Hughes the Hughes family get enough attention as it is, and it's only going <laughs> to and we're going to be talking about this group of players for the next what fifteen years at least. So um, I believe they will. You know, you know the the thing with it too, guys is when the team's playing well and everybody's feeling good about themselves and um, you know, there's not so much distraction around the team. There's not as much bad news. Right. So as, as you know, Debbie downers like to, to bring everybody down around them and, 
And when everything's going well or, or we're, we're, we're playing, you know, to an identity, then, you know, you start to pay attention to the guys that are really quality players even more and they get more attention. So um, I hope he does. I think that we're talking about a, a future Norris Trophy uh, winner um, going forward. Uh, he's uh, he's elite. Like he's he's just a fantastic player. It's fun to watch. People yeah. people should. Uh, it's worth the price of admission. It really is. Yeah, there's really only a, a maybe a handful of other defensemen, if that, who can kind of do the things that he can do with the pocket in his own end and transitioning uh, on a regular basis. You're absolutely right. It's a ton of fun to watch. And you know, one of the things we've heard locally as well as from uh, Elliot Friedman this week is that the Canucks still very active looking to try to improve their team. And, you know, we've also heard, hey, they're looking for a, a top six forward and a top four defenseman, which most teams are looking for around the NHL. But to get a little bit more specific, from your scouting perspective, what are those kind of uh, missing couple of ingredients that you see that the Canucks are still lacking as a team? Well, you know, I, I don't I – don't, I'm actually going to sit on the fence with this one, and, and I'm not I'm not dodging the question whatsoever. I feel like right now that the momentum. So Mikheyev comes back from injury. Holander's trying to get his um, his groove back, if you will, and I like him. He's playing to an identity. I like his energy. I like what he's doing. Giuseppe earns a job in training camp. Uh, he's reinvented himself. Lafferty comes in. What a great trade! Honest to goodness, I watched the Toronto Maple Leafs last night as well, and I. Sam Lafferty is exactly what the Leafs needed in the game versus the LA Kings. So what I'm trying to tell you is that, um, you know, I know the Garland thing is, you know, kitty by the door. I'm not sure. I'm not an insider, so I'm not going to go there, but I don't know that we just don't continue to, to kind of roll it out in segments of 10 games. Let's call it. Let's regroup after the next 10 games, take a look at where we are as a core. I feel like the group has earned the opportunity to run for a while and I don't know that I'd be really shopping to add anything at this time. That's my that's my short take at this stage. Jason, over the weekend, Jonathan LeCaramacchi hit 20-plus minutes, scored a beautiful rush goal, uh, one of the leaders, if not the outright leader in SHL scoring at the moment, definitely leading among U24 wingers. Um, last time we talked, it was like, hey, it's good that he's back on track. Are we getting to a different level now? So – Here's the thing when you're scouting players, guys, that are offensive juggernauts or they, pro or they project that element in the NHL. Uh, LeCare Mackey, like a lot of NHL players, um, when he gets over here, he, he does score in streaks, okay? Like he's going to pot some in streaks. He's going to get all kinds of chances to rip pucks on the power play, usually back seam, uh, you know, off the flank. What I'm noticing in him, and I continue to notice in him, so that transition goal that we're talking about, transfer, um, that isn't necessarily his element, okay? Like to push the play, um, he can be the guy one-on-one -on -one in his lane, but to pick up a puck deep in his zone a la, you know, uh, Patterson or something and, and go all the way up ice and beat two defenders to the net, that's not usually been his MO. I like that. So there's some progression there, right? An extra gear, back the defense off, gain the middle lane, drive the net, finish it off. That tells me a lot about the player. Again, defensively and, and in terms of being having more bumps to his game, he's involved, guys. So the, the funny thing about offensive talents is the more involved you are all over the ice, uh, physically, I'm not saying he's going to run over people, but what I'm saying is when you're around it more often, you earn the respect and the spatial awareness of your opponent. They got to be on guard more because you're more in tune with everything that's going on. 
He's starting to get more respect, but still producing at a high level. I really like the player compared to last year at the same time. Has he done enough to kind of erase last year from your mind a little bit and kind of get back to the trajectory he was on when the Canucks drafted him at, uh, at 15th overall? Truthfully, yes, in short order. I mean, um, I was really concerned. I think the three of us talked about it coming yeah. out of World Juniors, how concerned we were last year. And then he goes down with injury. I mean, a lot of noise there. So not a great season, some distractions. He goes down with injury. So now he's got a choice to make. You got a new uh, regime as far as coaches in, in Vancouver. They're going to set a tone out of uh, development camp, if you will, already in the training camp. He knows what the expectation is. He has a choice to make. I got to rehab. I got to go to another level in all these areas of my game. And, uh, and he's done that. And as a young person, I give him full credit for that. Um, as a first-round pick, uh, I think he deserved the analysis that he received last year. I think that was fair from all of us. But you also have to be fair to him in return and say, listen, nice job so far regrouping. You're clearly prepared. You've gone to another level. Let's keep it going. So to start looking down the road a little bit for LeCaramacchi, and you know, I, I realize it's early in the season here. It's 14 games through his season. But if he does have you know, sustained production at something like this level or at least at a very good level, what are the kind of the next steps for him? Because you think you know, 15th overall pick, this will be his second year after the draft. When does North America, the NHL, start to become a realistic, uh, or at least a realistic consideration for LeCaramacchi? Well, I think he'll get a long look uh, next uh, next training camp. I mean, we all know that, that, well, you know, for our listeners, if he gets to 20 goals in the SHL at his age, that's a huge number in mm. that league at his age. Like, it really is. Statistically, Drancer, I don't have it in front of me, but you, you know we've, we've gone over these types of spider webs in the past, and that's a big number, right? So, um if he gets into that 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 region, guys, then then he's tracking towards playing to an element over here and finding a role. The fact that again that he's playing faster, has more bump, and he's got more detail on and off the puck um, because he just needs to be average, right? Like goal scorers, I just need him to be average in all three zones, and then let his element take over offensively. I think he gets a long look next year. Hunter Brustevich, um, I think since we started this hit Jason he's he's put in another three-point game um I, I mean what's left to say about this like it, Bobby Orberstavich Bobby <laughs> is that what they're calling him out east is that is that well, what the cucking hands on the circuit I, I, are calling him books he's my guy like I, this is unbelievable like I mean um he's putting up still nearly two points a game after like 13 games. Uh, the interesting thing, guys, like of his five goals, like I, he does lean distributor on the power play more than yes. shooter, but he's, he doesn't have a power play goal. You know, he's got five goals otherwise. And, you know, what I like about it again, and I don't want to, I don't want to bore people to death, but it, it's important when you're producing a high level of offense, while you're a developing player, that you also tell the Canucks development people uh, when they come in to watch you play that I also play with enough detail, uh, you know, in other areas of the game. He's a plus 11. He's got six PIMs. Don't get misled by that. This is a guy who's involved. He's kind of built like a fire hydrant and he's involved physically. Um, but geez, like what a nice layer. If this kid hits, that's going to be an absolute elite pick by, uh, by the Canucks in time. And, 
and right now it's it's certainly looking like that. He's he's leaving the Kitchener Rangers in scoring, and I haven't looked at the entire league stats. He's got to be right up there. Uh, wh- where, where does this go? Like, is he is he going to, you know, g- get an invite to like uh, the U twenty camp? Like, uh, has he been that at that level yet, Jason, or or still too young, oh. uh, still too much competition? Well, the competition is going to be stiff, but he's absolutely earned that right. Hundred percent. Now wow. there is a history. There is a history there with the uh, the American team, where, as you know, they they kind of like to favor the guys who have come through the U.S. Yep. national yep. team development program. Um, but on the surface, uh, if he he absolutely should be a name there, and and um, it's no different than you know some of the Canadian kids that go down, like like Matthew Wood should be a, you know a clear cut invite to Team Canada, for example, right. right? Even though he's playing at UConn, so I hope there's not a bias there because. Um, in my eyes, all you can ask of a prospect is to play to the max of his ability, and he's clearly done that. Hey, Jason, I wanted to ask you about uh, another prospect for the Canucks playing in, in Abbotsford right now. Undrafted, comes out of the WHL, Arshdeep Baines. And last year, you know, 38 points in 66 games in his first pro season. This year, off to a really, really hot start, 15 points through nine games, do a lot, doing a lot of uh, distributing on the power play. I don't know how much you've got to see him or you, or you saw him in his uh, in his WHL days, but when a player in it, who's still relatively young in his second AHL season takes starts to take that kind of scoring uh, leap, does it make people, even from outside the Canucks organization, kind of stand up and take notice of what he's doing? 100%. So, I mean, it's a little bit of Russian roulette when you're when you sign players that had the runway that the veins did in, in the WHL, I mean, he was in Red Deer for, I think, all five years, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So um, his last year, though, there, uh, let me put it to a switch. So Hagel, Hagel came out of Red Deer um, um, in uh, Tampa Bay there, okay? So um, he came out of Red Deer, and, you know, uh, these guys got signed later on in in their development curve out of, out of Major Junior. Like, Baines, he, he scored, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, bear with me for a second. I'm looking at my reports now that we brought it up. Um, thanks for the uh, curveball, but I appreciate it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready here. Uh, yeah, so 112 points um, in, his, in his OA year there. But listen, he's carried that momentum into the American Hockey League. What you get here, though, guys, is I'm not so sure. Let, let's, let's, let's pause. At 6-1, I think he's about a buck 85. Um, clearly makes plays on the power play, but there's only one puck at the NHL level. So does he project mm. out to, to potentially offer a secondary level of offense? Potentially. It's still going to take time, though. And, you know, I just – I don't know. I hope it ends up in Vancouver. I really do. But at very worst, when you sign these players, if they can become an asset to the organization and draw attention from other organizations, now you've got something in the mix that it's either yours or somebody else's you manage the asset, and your your group as a whole can get better. So good news on the kid. He's doing well. He continues to do well. He's taken right off after his OA year in Red Deer. Jason, I, I, I'm hearing more while we're on Baines. While we've already, since we've already thrown you the curveball, I'll just, you know, throw some more off-speed stuff. No, but with, uh, <laughs> but, but with Baines, like when I'm talking to pro scouts – Guys were at the Canucks game last night. Like he's a name that seems to be peaking interest in and around the industry just because his progress, his physical progress, the way he's added weight, the way he's added a step. 
um, has clearly caught the attention uh, of, of some talent evaluators. Are, are you hearing similar things? And, and how does a player improving in their young 20s sort of change the way they're valued by organizations? Um, truthfully, I haven't, uh, I haven't been hearing that just only mm. because a, it's not kind of my MO to, yep. to, you know, kind of hover that way. But second of all, um, I think that it's, uh, it's clearly possible. Like, so for Baines, if I had to define him, I would say that he's legitimately equal parts shooter, equal parts distributor. Like there's not, like, I know he's a, he's, he can pick apart, uh, on the power play and make plays, but like this kid shoots the puck and he scores goals and, and he's scoring goals like 13 goals. I think last year in, in Abbott's for 25 uh, apples or something like that. Um, again, there's nothing that nobody, I'll put it this way. College players that come out of college and we'll talk about them. You, the three of us will get together in February and we're going to talk about the most coveted college players who are free agents. Mm. And somebody's going to get the cap, right? This kid's 22 years old. Imagine if he was playing at North Dakota. Imagine that. Imagine the attention he would be getting if he was at North Dakota as a 22-year-old as a, a potential college free agent. That puts it in perspective for me. Jason, I threw you a curveball, and you, you crushed it into the stand. So thanks for doing this. So <laughs> we, all, we always appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. All right, fellas. Take care. Nice talking to you. That is Jason Bukala, former NHL scout, now a Sportsnet NHL analyst. I knew it was a bit of a curl. I tried to give him the out there. Hey, I'm not sure how much you've got to see him this year, but you know, generally speaking, when a player progresses it, uh, but he's a pro. He had the notes ready to go, uh, and as I said, he crushed it over the fence there, as he always does. Yeah, uh, Book's a smart guy. Watches a lot of hockey, works hard, loves the game. Um, I loved him saying, like, even just watching the game last night, the Canucks game, like, going into scout mode, doing his breakdowns and his analysis of Quinn Hughes. That's fantastic. Very cool. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of an earlier break here. JT Miller has spoken to the media addressing uh, getting benched briefly in the win against the Nashville Predators last night. So we'll play that. Take some of your texts as well. Final segment coming up here. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans, live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So I, uh, I said... We'd take an early break because we have the JT Miller audio to play. We had just gotten it in. If I had realized that it was not particularly lengthy, I probably would have just played it before the break in the final segment. But uh, not let, a, not let, a lot of questions answered. Less than a minute of less than a hot minute. JT Miller 50 audio. Fifty seconds of JT Miller, but he does address uh, what happened in the game last night after not speaking last night. So here it is, as promised. JT Miller speaking to the media today after practice. Um, obviously, I think. I mean. The guys yesterday touched on the team perspective. That's not really the standard we're trying to play to in a sense of puck management, I think. Um, I guess on the bright side, you're still finding a way to win games right now. Um, obviously, Demer was a big part of that when the game was tight. Um, like We understand that, but the day-by-day process thing is not just for the team, but for me as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we're still day-by-day. Yeah, we learned from the game yesterday, and we're already ready for the game tomorrow. So. 
Rick's been huge on accountability, and I guess that has to sort of go right through the room. Like, are you okay if he sees something there in a game that sits you for a little while? Well, it was four minutes, so uh, I really wouldn't put too much into it. I was pretty hot, took some penalties, and uh, the team did a great job killing it off. So, I mean, it was just a let me cool off for the second or the last couple minutes of the second period. That's pretty much all it was. It's coming up scoring in the third. A good uh, it doesn't there. really make any of it any better, but I guess it's a big part of the game, and uh, like I said, we found a way to win. There it is. JT Miller, again, uh, pretty hot, took some bad penalties, he says. The team did a great job killing it off, so it was just letting me cool off. For the last couple of minutes of the second period, that's pretty much all it was. And he does note that it was just four minutes as well. So there you go. JT Miller uh, addressing it. Doesn't have a problem with it. Says it was about him cooling it off. And yeah, 57 seconds of uh, <laughs> of absolute gold there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's fine. Like, that's fine. It's over. There you go. His it's media over. veil was shorter than his benching. That's much shorter. Yeah. It was about, I mean, you would hope so in general. Shorter than the length of one of the three minor penalties. Uh, yeah, about an average shift length. 57 seconds. An average shift length this season. Yeah. Last season, they sometimes went a little long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I think we should just note one thing about the Canucks schedule. I want to talk about the Canucks schedule really quickly. Let's do the do, do the zoom out thing. Because... You play the Sharks a lot this month. They have the Sharks three times this month. Which is very nice. Four times before Christmas, which is really nice. That's that's a heck of a gift. Yeah. Especially for a team looking to build on a hot start. Like, you know. Now, you gotta don't you don't want to be the first team to get no, to lose to the Sharks. So. I actually think it's probably really good that they didn't have a great game process wise against yeah. Nashville because you avoid getting the fat and happy game against the Sharks and you having would an embarrassing result. Hopefully, right? It's like, oh guys, hey, let's tighten up. Let's get back to what we're trying well, to do here. Especially because you come home after that and you do have two pretty tough games against the Stars and an Oilers team that isn't going to be a cellar dweller all season as much as we'd like to enjoy that. Mm-hmm. As, mu- as much as as much Schadenfreude as that. Yep. Promises, I, I, I'm not, I'm not out on the Oilers by any means yet. Then you have this Eastern Conference trip, this barnstorming tour of Eastern Canada, where every team you're facing is on the second leg of a back-to-back, and and you know, for me, that's more like, obviously, you want the Canucks to beat the Maple Leafs. You'd like to see them beat the other two teams too, but for me, the storylines there become more individual. Just like this, this is just how I look at it. Because of the whole like, well, does Patterson and Hughes get enough attention? Is thing? this yeah. is this well, and and now like you know, there's a real chance that you go out and you're seven or eight wins in the bank, maybe nine, you know, and and you're one of the hottest teams in the league. And if you if you win two or three, or if you win all three, or if you get points from them and have big games, like now you're on the radar, you know, in a in a really major way. Like you, this is a chance if if. If you want this team to be taken seriously, mm. those three teams or those three games loom really large. You know who's going to eat on that trip? Rick Tockett. Media star Rick Tockett. We yeah, all right. love it. People in Toronto and Montreal are going to love the Rick Tockett presser well, experience he won't, he as won't well. do much in Montreal, right? He'll just do a post-gamer right. and, and maybe a quick one beforehand. But the Toronto probably be The Toronto was the Saturday morning in Toronto is going to be a fascinating yeah. one for sure. Then you come home and it's Bo Horvat's return. Mm-hmm. We'll, and we'll save our Bo Horvat takes for closer to the 15th of November. Yeah. I He's definitely getting booed, and I think that's really regrettable. He'll get applause 
when the moment they acknowledge him and then no be, chance. Yes, he will. hundred percent. He will. And then he'll be booed when he touches the puck. I think he'll be booed the whole night. He's not going to, they're going to do a video tribute and there will be an ovation for, for Bo Horvat. I, I, I hope you're right. I think then, he's going to get booed. Then the whole after night. that, there will be booze. I think he'll, anyways, I think, we can I think he'll get booed the whole night. We'll debate it. I, I think it's going to be sad if he does. And then you have this stretch where you've got like some easy games mixed in with two against the Kraken and the Avalanche, right? In, in and around American Thanksgiving, and then your final test of November is against the Golden Knights. And before you know it, we've got the Hughes game in Vancouver, mm. December 5th. This is a fascinating month. Like, this is now, the month of November is shaping up to be absolutely fascinating because there's a ton of schedule wins here. There's a ton of... San of, Jose. Of San Jose. <laughs> like, there's a real chance to get fat. For the Canucks, in a good way. I yep. mean, like, to bank a lot of points, to to build your, you know, like a squirrel, to to stuff your tree filled with it, filled with acorns of points. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Over the course of this month, like, this is it. This is it. You know, you do not have to do that well at this point to come out of this month or to get to American Thanksgiving with 25 points. In a really strong position. Too, yeah, I mean, right? Y- we might even want to raise our bar based on what they've done to be like 28. Well, and it's because it's partly their points, but also, you know, you do play the Kraken twice this month, right? And that's a team and that you do play the Oilers is and struggling. You play the Flames once like yeah. you can contribute to the slow starts of the teams that you're chasing, right? You can do both. Here. Yeah. And, and, you know, we mentioned the 82% from Dom's playoff model and how that's partly about the Canucks bank and points early, but also in large part about what the the other teams in the division struggling. And you got a chance, like, you know, you next week or a couple weeks from now, you play Calgary and then Seattle uh, in consecutive games, right? Like you have a chance to really stretch the gap between you and those teams early in the season. And I mean, in Calgary's case, you could deliver a knockout blow potentially at that point, right to their season. Seattle, I think is a little different, but it's right there for them. If they can continue getting these results to really put themselves in a, in an almost unassailable position coming out of November. And you've got to do it because calendar flips to December and it's flames, devils, wild hurricanes, lightning, Panthers, wild, that strip of seven games You know, that's brutal. And they're condensed like that. That's where the schedule begins to bunch up and you're playing every second night. And, you know, holidays are always distracting for everybody. You know, like you you want points banked for, for that gauntlet stretch right there in December. Like that to me, that to me is the strip where if the Canucks can come in to December, 25 plus points, then those seven games will tell us how excited to get, like how Mm. legit this is as a team that's more than a bona fide playoff team. But this month, over the course of the next 30 days, this team can cement themselves as not a playoff striver, not that playoff bubble team, not that meaningful games in March team where you're sweating it to the last game, but like a team that can kind of... That's comfortable. That's comfortably in the playoff picture. This month can cement that. Yeah, it, it, there's there's no doubt about it that it's there. And I, I made a reference, I think, on Monday maybe to when do we get to the point, and we're not there yet, and I'm still not ready to say we're there yet, 
But when do we get to the point where it becomes a disappointment if they miss the playoffs, right? Like a significant disappointment. Oh, I think we're already there. You know there. what I mean? Like, oh, wow, you blew that position. We're already there. I don't know whether we're quite there yet, but I, we're absolutely already there. If, if not, we're very close, right? And especially uh, based on the schedule, how for, the schedule sets up in November. First of all, I'd have argued that we were there before the season. No, but there's a difference between, okay, they were, obviously everyone wants them to make the playoffs and the team sets that up as an expectation. But there's a difference between failing at that goal from the beginning of the year and failing from when you've already juiced sure. your odds significantly. I, you know what I mean? I just think failing to make the playoffs, given that you bridged Pedersen, bought out OEL, traded a first and a second for Philip Ronick and extended JT Miller through the age of 37 um, in the first year of that deal kicking in. I mean, to me, that's that's right there. Like, you have to make the playoffs that next year. No, I get that. I'm yeah. just saying it's different if you're like, 10 points up in January on a team and then miss that Whoa. that has a completely different uh, connotations than it does if you just miss from the start of the year in kind of a normal way uh, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, by the way somebody texts in Thomas they're not going to boo Bo during his tribute good I'll, t- I'll tell you that for free thank goodness but I, I would honestly I think that would be a terrible look I don't think it's gonna happen I, just, I, I don't see it I'd be really really surprised um a couple people texted in similar things here. Chet and Burnaby says, I think people need to talk about Ian Cole's season so far. He's played great. There was a shift in the third where he took a twirl on the right side with Hughes, made an amazing read where he knew Hughes was about to make a spin and dump it in the corner. I was extremely impressed. That's from Chet and Burnaby. And Keefe says, "Has he have Ian Cole's contributions been talked about enough? He really is one of the most noticeable guys, rock solid and steady. That's from Keefe. A couple people texting in about Ian Cole. And, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's really stood out to me about Ian Cole is, one, how incredibly smart he is out there. But also, he has a higher capacity to do creative things with the puck than I think a lot of people would have thought coming into the season, than a lot of Canucks fans would have thought coming into this season, right? Like, not, I'm not saying he's a he's going to be an, a, a guy who really fills the stat sheet offensively or anything for you, but just he has a, a, a tier above puck skills than a lot of kind of typical stay-at-home defensemen, and I think we've been able to see that so far from Ian Cole, right? It's not the off-the-glass-and-out panic that is so often the standard for no. your prototypical uh, stay-at-home defenseman. He has the IQ and the skills to find more creative solutions on a regular basis. Well, people always forget about this, but Ian Cole was drafted 18th overall. Yeah. Right? Like, Ian Cole was not – Ian Cole's a first-round defenseman. <laughs> you know, like he was uh, a highly sought after, and and I think we tend to think of that process a lot of forwards. You know, like Rafi Torres was a top ten pick, and then he became a good third third line player, right? But I don't it, it, the same dynamic exists for defensemen too. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it does. And you know, like this was Ian Cole was part of this Blues rebuild that people forget about, but where the Blues, you know, did dealt everything like Doug Waite and I mean, on and on down the list and made just an absolute embarrassment of first round picks. Uh, they traded out of the Logan Couture's pick spot um, to take three first rounders that year, getting Lars Eller, Ian Cole and David Perron. Pretty good. By Not the bad. Way. Not bad. That's, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, Logan Couture hit a higher height than any of those three guys did individually. Although, but all three of those guys have been like, rock solid like winners well, Peron, in their career Peron you know? also has more career points and more career games played um and won a cup in st louis but i mean <laughs> they're gonna they, they ended up getting like three thousand games yeah that's pretty incredible <laughs> unbelievable anyway I, I sometimes bring this up with like a guy like tom valander 
right? Where it's like one of the risks you run. And it's not necessarily like a negative thing. It's just one of the risks you run using a pick on a defender that high is like, what if you end up with new NHL Ian Cole? Now, that's a totally fine thing, provided that, you know, you don't take him ahead of, you know, the the new NHL version of Max Pacioretty. And provided that they're slotted correctly, ultimately, on your team. Right. right? That you're not counting on them to be... Like, Ian Cole has looked really good in the roles he's played on winning teams, but partly I think that's because he's been in the right role, right? He hasn't been asked to be a number one or a number two defenseman on really good teams. Yeah. Well, p- people, by the way, will say that's negative, but, like, Ian Cole had eight goals in his first year at Notre Dame. Like, he also went NCAA, mm-hmm. right? And he had eight goals. Like, that's a real... like. If, if we're talking about Tom Volander at the end of the season and he has eight goals with BU and, and 20 points in 40-ish games, like, we're going to be like, wow, that's a really good season. Mm-hmm. You know? So, again, I, like, don't sleep on the fact that Ian Cole was, like, a top, top prospect. This is a guy with real pedigree. And it shows, you know, there was a sequence last night, like, more than the puck handling because the puck handling and the just the, the way he thinks the game is so yep. high-end. But there was this, this sequence where, like – the, the Predators were trying to go high flip. And he was just, it was a full shift. They tried a couple of times and he like caught one and just put it back in. And then there was another one and he like skated it down. Quick turn moves, quick spin move away from a, a oncoming like Predators four checker in the neutral zone. And again, just like quick pass to the blue line and, and back in. And by the time it's done, it's like that's a minute gone. You know, and it was both plays were... Ian Cole functioning as like the left side of a um, a pinball machine, like the left flipper <laughs> on a ping- pinball machine. You know, you you're trying to get by, and it's just going back into play, going back into play, killing time, 150 feet from my net. Uh, he does it a lot. There's a lot of moments like that where, especially when this team has been leading so often, yep. where Ian Cole's just like safely, calmly eating time. Yeah, guys, and, guys, an exceptionally bright two way piece. And has the sort of defensive IQ that this team's just yeah. had not nearly enough of on the back end. And I thought watching last night, I thought there were a lot of impressive moments for Ian Cole individually, but I don't think that pairing was great. The Cole Friedman pairing, which did have absolutely ridiculous underlying numbers going, going into, into that game. game. Yeah, but we knew that's. Well, yeah, but it really, that to me, watching that game, I was like, man, I would love to see Cole Hronick in this game and have a viable partner for Quinn Hughes so you could have, you'd have a much better shot at having two pairs which were dictating things i think if you had cole hronick like cole's play has convinced me that cole and philip hronick has the potential to be a really good second pairing you know what i mean i think the skill set is there and i would still love to see it i understand that you're opening up a huge hole on your first pair then but i just keep looking at it and like i think cole was good enough that hey he can make it work with mark friedman and stretches but that's always going to have a shelf life and i thought in that game last night you saw like Man, if you had that bona fide rock solid second pair, and you have Hughes working at the level he's at right now, I, I think that that was a game where they could have used that option. Uh, interesting sequence late in that game. Oh, yeah, it was still three two. So early in the third period, and there's like a, a lengthy rebound out from Lankinen, and not a bad rebound, right? Like there's bad rebounds and there's good rebounds, like rebound that stayed in front of him and and was kicked into the slot, but pretty high up. And and Friedman's the first guy to it. And this is where having a guy like Friedman, whose brain for the game is wired toward making the safe play and keeping your job, versus 
what you want out of a top four defenseman where you want a guy who can like make a difference. You want Philip Peronic, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. and you know, he skates onto it and there's sort of a, a play available to him at the side of the net where you could shoot for the one timer or the tip, or you could just walk into the slapper. Right. And he comes onto the puck and instead sort of does like a spin move away from the winger who's trying to cut off the top and just dishes it back to Cole. Puck goes back in deep. No, no chance results. That's one of those moments where, like, that's a really nice play. If you're a third-pair guy who's killing time with, like, Sam Lafferty's line yep. late in the game. Like, that's what you want. But from a from a guy top four with skilled players on the ice, you ideally want a guy who can do something a little more dangerous with the puck. And and I don't even blame Friedman. Like, the way he sees the game no, is that's what he's brought in to, to play, do. Yeah. He's brought in to play safe minutes, Where whereas I, I think ultimately, you know, over the long haul, Right, this team's going to need more, more, more like of a dynamic element from someone playing sixteen, seventeen minutes a night on, on their back end. Uh, the interesting thing somebody else brings up in the inbox as well: Ian Cole's on a one-year contract, right? So, and he's also, I mean, what is he, thirty-four? Yeah, he's thirty-four. He'll turn thirty-five in February. But somebody texted him like, "How are they going to replace this guy next year?" And I mean, look, we're. I don't want to start that conversation right now or anything, but I do think it's an interesting point. He's come in and made a really immediate, noticeable impact on that second pair, uh, only on the one-year deal right now. Um, okay, I wanted to get on this. It's not strictly uh, Canucks-related, but lots of people have been texting in about the Ottawa Senators situation and everything that happened I mean, with the Ottawa Senators today. Forfeiting, they will have to forfeit, at least theoretically. We've seen this come down before and then not happen so you know we'll see the Uh, nhl announced that they'll have to forfeit a first round pick well this is this is like and often it it, like they gave josh harris a reprieve because he bought the team after he bought the devils after the suspension had been handed out right so the devils got uh they they had to forfeit a first round pick in one of two years Mm -hmm. And one the the first year that they, they went to, to the pick, Stanley Cup final, they went to the Stanley Cup final, and they kept the pick. Now, <laughs> now, um, the story goes the the like inside the game story that I've always heard for why the Devils kept the pick was they believed that no one was going to take Andre Vasilevsky in the first round, and mm, that was the so logic. They could get him at that. They pick. thought they could get him at thirty. One or I guess twenty thirty at the time twenty nine something like yeah, that would have been twenty nine whatever at the second, second to last pick in the first round they thought they could get to Vasilevsky or at least get up high enough to get him and they didn't and the, the, I mean the the Lightning jumped in and took him eighteen or mm-hmm. whatever or earlier than like significantly earlier than projected uh, home run pick for the Lightning the only the only good first rounder outside the top five that they've like ever taken. And, and, you know, at least that makes sense. At least, you know, they end up with Stefan Matteau, by the way. I don't know why I know that, but I do. <laughs> of course you do. And then the next year, the team sells to the Harris group, the mm-hmm. Harris Blitzer group. And the NHL sort of just, like, forgives the, the, the pick forfeit penalty. I have no idea why. New owner. Yeah. I mean, that's... I don't know. That is like, why. That I, is why. But... Now, Andlauer can negotiate a similar deal? I don't know, man. Well, no. that's why I wonder, though, right? Because what is it? It's they, they get to choose 24, 25, or 2026. 20, yeah. Is there a chance that this gets walked back at some point? Yes. Right? Like, I would bet on it right now. 
based on the New Jersey example. Now I know it's I'm, different. We're, we're going to play. We're going to play a process of elimination. Well, hold on. I will say the really difference quick, is. Please the, just indulge me. The difference is that Harris bought after, after the punishment correct. had been laid out. That's what I'm saying. No, but Andlauer, Andlauer is the owner right now. When the punishment no, happens, I know. But the the punishment. I mean. How long ago was the Dadnov incident? A long time. Lafair Dadnov was yeah. like three years ago. And there was, in fact, a great quote from Michael Anlauer saying, why I inherited this is beyond me. So he's like publicly that, out there at the press conference today being like, this is stupid. Uh, I mean, Anlauer, Anlauer. And he though, just paid, what, $900 million for the Ottawa Senators? Yep. He should bear in mind, though, he should bear in mind the following. Okay. Um, is he a new owner? Well, yes, except he was a minority owner of the Montreal Canadiens. But not he's new to the he, NHL. Scene. No, he's not new to the NHL. He's a new majority owner. It, does he own the Vancouver Canucks? No, he doesn't. Then there's a decent chance this is, this punishment <laughs> gets walked back. Yeah, that's all I, you need I to do know. think it was interesting. And so this person texted. I'm pretty sure Ann Lauer shot any chances of getting the league to walk this back right out of a cannon with his comments today. And I do think that's an interesting take because. As you said, like he's not new to the NHL. In fact, one of the things you heard around the the sale process was like they really wanted to be Andlauer because they know him, they're familiar with him, right? Safe vote. To me, the way yeah, right? Like, hey, this is a guy we like, we're comfortable if we can do business with him. To me, that leads you to the direction of I'm gonna deal with this in the back channels. I'm gonna lean on Gary when I see him at the Board of Governors meeting and talk to him about getting this walked back. Not I'm gonna come out on the press conference day of and say this is ridiculous that I'm inheriting this. Good luck. I mean, leaning on Gary at the BOG. Good luck with that. Anyway, um, yeah. Look, the Senators are disappointing again. Their mega money goalie, like once again, is not the answer. And clearly, there was some sort of malfeasance sufficient to punish them at a, at a pretty steep cost. Mm-hmm. O- over a three-year window when you'd expect them to level up. I mean, who could have seen it coming? Well, and obviously Pierre Dorian loses his job as a as a result, but also, I mean. Oh, that happened today. Yes. I Did you see that? that? Yeah, so no, he, he, was, uh, he was let go, although Andlauer says it was a mutual parting of ways. Yes, of course. They agreed last night that this had to be the, the punishment or the consequence of the uh, of the. Error so in the s- dad so not thing. Steos is actually a pretty interesting figure, by the way. That Hamilton Bulldogs team that he built up uh, in the OHL was like deep, deep into analytics, mm. like a very progressive. I saw he hired Matt Nickel, mm-hmm. who's a, an extraordinarily bright guy uh, to do human performance and and um, like athletic performance. Uh, it was only a matter of time before someone came and tried to get that exclusively. Um, going to be fascinating to see what's next for the senators but uh, i do think they have a pretty sharp guy and steos and i know the name peter shirelli has been out there in connection yeah but he's like ottawa royalty yeah are you buying it or it's just that it's out there Uh, it doesn't seem like a steve steos move based on what like what you're saying about Steos and what other people have to say about Steos. So you know how anytime there's ever a vacancy in Vancouver Peter Shirley, or Mike Gillis, everyone Oh yeah, yeah, yeah everyone yeah. will just bring it up because yeah. you know it's like now I actually think although Peter Shirelli's team won that 2011 series like <laughs> it's outrageous that Peter Shirelli would get another shot whereas it's outrageous that Mike Gillis wouldn't given their track record. The difference is Shirelli's name comes up almost anytime there's an opening anywhere at least in the background. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't think Gillis's does. No, only, Gillis only is in Vancouver. Well, and and it's like selectively in in some places, but yeah, I mean, I, I I I would compare those two. Like, I just think it's, I just think it's an easy connection to draw given Shirelli's history in that market. I I that would be a stunner to me. I mean, I just don't see how you can look at the work in Edmonton and. And think that I agree, but it's the NHL. Shot. It's the NHL. Yeah, I mean, if Mike Babcock can get another shot, anyone can, right? <laughs> which is also, which is also a reminder not to use the like before anyone because I brought Mike Gillis's name up on the radio before anyone texts in like, well, it's been so long. Like Tats tells you everything. It's like it's only been a month since Mike Babcock was employed in the NHL. So speaking of uh, speaking of general managers operating on borrowed time. Front offices operating on borrowed time. I think that was Pierre Dorian until today, and I think that's Yarmo Kekalainen in Columbus as well. I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you have that on your resume. Well, and have, have you seen some of the stuff coming out of Columbus with Pascal Vincent and, uh, you know, like the Severson? Well, and and yeah, and reneging on a um, on like a team day off after no. a, after a bad Woof. performance, and like obviously we all see what what's happening with Kent Johnson. Who the wizard of Port mm, Moody who mm-hmm. just like needs to play? Come on, let's let's get it together, Columbus. So yeah, no, I'm. That's an interesting one. Hey, you know what's nice? That the Canucks aren't on this list of teams. It's like, what's going on in that market? It's another sunny day in Vancouver. The coach is getting it all wrong here. We're like Rick Tockett. He can do no wrong. He's pressing all the right buttons. <laughs> you know what? I can't wait for tomorrow. Another Rick Tockett availability. I, I'm I'm ex- I'm like dead serious about that. Yeah, no, I, I live for them. I'm with you. I'm with you. The vibes, the, they are good. I live for them. That's the, one of the Saturdays. You know what? I've the vibes, heard. they're good. And like one thing Dollywall said, like in past years, the Canucks lose that game. And it's like, nah. They've I, won games like I, that. I too. really, I, 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 his point about the no, two goals in quick succession, I get. For sure. But I'm, 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 I really don't like this. Like, we it's like we remember the last three years as unremitting, unremittingly awful, as mm. if people didn't find false reasons to be hopeful all throughout specifically that Boudreaux bump four or five months. Yeah. But this is so different in that it comes early in the season and that the team's form at least half the time looks like really good. Mm-hmm. You know, what What still remains interesting to me is I still don't, don't feel, and we can discuss this tomorrow, but I still don't feel like we've seen that baseline game. It's like we've seen four and a half great games and oh, four and a half yeah. where I'm just like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, we, we can get into that we'll tomorrow. We'll solve that it's mystery tomorrow. It's another Canucks game day. Thanks for listening. It is Sportsnet 650.